Good morning, church. Isn't it good to know that the name of Jesus is all that we need? I am so honored and humbled to have been asked to step in and we pray for our pastor in Kenya. We pray that all that he does would be a blessing and a sweet fragrance unto the throne room. I am so excited to be here this morning and so humbled again to have been asked during this time of renewing and revival and sticking with that theme this morning, I'd like to share with you a message entitled, I need a mulligan. I need a mulligan. So if you would be so kind as to stand and read with me from Holy Scripture, from the book of Jeremiah, it'll be on the screen. And the words in your Bible may read something like this. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel and the vessel at the wheel he made was of clay and was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel and it seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning to take away, remove, eliminate all distractions. Father, I pray for open ears and open hearts and open minds to receive what it is you have for them this morning. Father, move in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way. Father, I pray that you would hide me behind your precious spirit so your words can be both spoken and heard. Father, we thank you. We pray for our pastor. We pray that you would give him a special anointing during this time and on this week during the pastor's conference. We pray that your spirit would fall in a mighty way. Father, we thank you right now. And we pray in expectation for what you have for us over the next few minutes. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. I need a mulligan. Some of you may think I'm talking about mulligan stew, and I would never eat that. That's made of all that's left of the animal and all that's left in the kitchen, and it's been known as hobo stew or community stew, and I won't touch that. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an informal golf term, and I don't play golf, but I know the term. An extra stroke is allowed after a poor shot, not counted against you. In other words, a redo, a do-over. As we read from the passage today, the children of Israel were going through a very difficult time, a tumultuous time, and they were participating 
in things that they should not have been participating in. And God in his infinite wisdom and incredible mercy decides through the prophet Jeremiah to send a message to them. And the message is as clear as can possibly be. He talks about the clay. There are over 30 words in the Hebrew vocabulary that direct, directly relate to the potter. And the manufacturing of pottery was a industry that was incredibly important in that day. I, I believe that Jeremiah would have had to pass every day multiple potter's house in order to get where he had to be. But this time, God had a special message to give him. And it started with a visit to the potter's house. And while watching the potter, God used Jeremiah and gave him an important message. Now, if you fast forward, we're not going to talk about that today. If you fast forward after this message, because the people didn't like it, they threw him in jail. But God gave him this message. The potter would sit before two parallel stones. I, I supplied a, a picture of what I believe a, a potter's wheel would look like. It would be a large wheel made of stone or wood with a shaft or a rod, if you will, with a smaller wheel on top. And as the potter would turn the bottom wheel with his feet, he would work with the clay on the top wheel. And as Jeremiah watched the potter, he saw the clay fail in the hands of the potter. And the vessel that the potter was trying to make was unusable. It was ruined, it was marred. So the potter reformed the clay and made another vessel that he was satisfied with. So what does this mean? The interpretation of this is, is one that had national implications. He was talking to the children of Israel. It related directly to the house of Israel, but the application is also individual. Calling for a response from each individual child of Israel. And ladies and gentlemen, this morning, God is looking for a response from you. A personal response. God is looking to do something special. And in order for there to be revival, each one of us has to participate. As the potter has the power over the clay, so God has sovereign authority over the nations. God is holy, God is just, God is wise, God is loving. And he has shown us in the past that he can judge a nation like he did the nation of Nineveh, where he sent Jonah to preach the gospel because they were being judged for their actions and through the preaching of Jonah, who had gotten spit out of a fish, through his preaching, the nation repented. 
But we also see in the children of Israel a blessing for the nation, a nation that was promised blessing. God told Abraham, just as the sand is on the sea and the stars in the sky, so shall the nation of Israel be. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Israel was given covenants and promises, but they did evil in the sight of God. And he withhold their blessings and he would send judgment. Nations are made up of individuals. Individuals with the ability to receive God's word. You and I are the clay. And unlike the clay in the potter's house, unlike the clay in the potter's hand, we have the ability to resist. And God uses many different hands and many different voices to mold us. Your parents, siblings, spouses, different relationships, children, teachers, ministers, authors, music, friends. And we can fight against them. But every time we fight against them, we are fighting against the hands of Almighty God. This morning, I want to share with you, as God announces through Jeremiah that he was framing evil, that he was preparing, that he was fashioning, or he was being the potter against the kingdom of Judah. But if the people would repent, he would deliver them. However, if you know the story in this case, they were so chained to their sins, they were so chained to their bad habits, they were so chained to their way of thinking, they were so chained to these ideas that they chose to follow their own path. And they would rather worship dead idols, they would rather worship other gods and suffer from it than serve the one true living God. But like the potter, I want to share with you this morning that we serve a God who is patient, who is willing to mold us again. And whenever we resist him and damage our own lives, God is willing to provide us a new way. Here's what I want to say to you this morning. I want you to, to remember this. If you remember anything, remember this. No failure in our lives needs to be fatal or final. We have failed and we have gone our own way and we have done our own thing, but I'm here to tell you it doesn't have to be fatal. It doesn't have to be final because we serve a big God. God gave us new beginnings. Aren't we thankful for Abraham and Moses and David and Jonah and like pastor preached last week, Peter. These men all experienced new beginnings, but those are far-fetched. I want to share with you what happened to me. You see, about 23 years ago, I experienced something that changed my life. I had been saved at the age of 16 called to preach at 18 and was following God's call on my life, went to seminary, worked as a youth pastor, did everything I could to 
follow the call on, that God had on my life. And then 12 years later, my father, my hero, passes away. He had served God his whole life, dedicated his entire life to teaching and preaching and pastoring. And he was my personal spiritual hero. And I, my world crumbled. I talk to him every day and he passes. And I got angry, I got bitter, I got into myself. And for the next five years, five years, I didn't set foot in a church. I, I, I was hurt, no excuse. I didn't do anything crazy while I wasn't in church, but I just, I wasn't myself. I found everything that I could possibly find to do on a Sunday to have an excuse. And lo and behold, my mom was praying for me. She knew what was happening in my life. And I just, I was angry. God, why? One day I was having some work done on the sprinklers in my house and my mom called one of her brothers, my uncle, to come to the house. Now, my mom is from a large Hispanic family. There were 16 siblings. 12 of them all lived within a mile. That's the reason she moved to Orlando to spend time with her siblings. So I didn't know them all. We would have a family reunion once every few years and there were so many 78 cousins, first cousins. Yeah, it's crazy. There was a lot. So I didn't have a relationship with many of them. And this one uncle, Uncle Frank, came to the house to work on the sprinkler system. And I come out and I say hello to him and I offer him some water, if there's anything I can get for him. And he says, no, I don't need anything, but can I talk to you? I said, yeah, of course. With tears in his eyes, he tells me, God has told me to tell you he still has a plan for your life. God wants to use you. And you've been running and you've been angry, but God has a plan for you. And ladies and gentlemen, I felt like that piece of clay in God's hands. Tears began flowing down my face. I was shocked. I knew that was God. My wife and I get in the car heading towards Altamont from where we live that afternoon. And we pass a church on Semaron, just past the Loma. And she pers pass, looks at the church and she says, oh, that's the church my friend goes to. I don't know if she had told me that every time we passed there. I, I don't remember. I was literally in a fog. But I remember this time she tells me that's the church my friend goes to. 
And I said, call her right now. Find out what time tomorrow's service is, because we're going. And thank God I've never missed a Sunday since. And God is using me like he had promised to use me. Why? Because I place myself in the hands of the potter. And I want to share with you this morning as this introduction goes a little longer than I expected. He's got the same idea for each and every one of you. He wants to use you. And somebody's going to say to me, but how? You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know how many times I've been divorced or how many times I've cheated or how many times I've hurt people. You don't know God can't use me. And I'm here to tell you, nothing you've done is final or fatal. God's mercy and God's grace is extended towards you. And I pray you would open your arms today and receive what God has for you. So how does he do it? How can he respond to the call? How is it that God can do it? Well, I've got to turn to another scripture to best explain this. So if you would join me this morning and turning with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Because I want to take a look at exactly how God does it. How can God still after five years of running, use me. I'm not worthy. I am not worthy. But God, in his infinite mercy, reached down and said, I still want to use you. I still want to use you. So how does he do it? So first I want to lay out for you a picture of who we were. Ephesians chapter 2 does a great job of laying out for us who we were. So I'm going to go through these fairly quickly because I, I want to get to where we are. So who we were. Ephesians chapter 2 says we were spiritually dead. We were spiritually dead. The world is one vast graveyard. Spiritual faculties don't function. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Ephesians chapter one, chapter two, verse one says, we who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead. And dead, by the way, just means separated from a holy God. No, no relationship with God. Dead. It also says in verses 2 and 3 that we were disobedient. Verses 2 and 3 says, In which you were once walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the devil himself, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves. Because we're dead, we're doing things to satisfy the flesh. 
And that, that term, the flesh, people use it all the time. It simply means not your skin, not your bones, not your, even your body. It means your fallen nature. Because of the sin in the Garden of Eden, we all have a fallen nature. It's just in our DNA. It's, it's who we are. The, the world, the devil, and the flesh all come together. We've got three enemies. The world doesn't help. Turn on any television channel and you know this world is a mess. This world is falling apart. And I don't care about political affiliation. The only thing I'm telling you, it's a mess. We've taken God out of everything and now the world is falling apart, it's coming unglued. We also have an enemy. Michael talked about him a minute ago. The moment you cross the line and start calling the name of Jesus and start inviting people to church and start volunteering for activities that are taking place, you're crossing the line and you put a big target on yourself and the enemy's coming right after you. And we also have the fallen nature of the flesh. So we're dead, we're disobedient, we're also depraved. Verse 3 says, we have found and conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we've all been guilty of doing something you know is wrong. We're incapable of doing anything to gain salvation on our own. We're neck deep in quicksand. And that's where the last word comes in, we're doomed. Doomed. Verse three also says, we are by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And the result of this is found in verse 12. We are without Christ, we are aliens, and we are without hope. For five years, even though I knew I was saved, I was out of fellowship with God and I wasn't walking in the fullness of what God had for me. But there may be somebody in this room that has never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. And you're here this morning, or you're watching me online, or you're watching a replay, and you say to yourself, I don't know what to do at this point. I don't know what to do. And the answer is, but God, but God, those two words in the English language make the difference. They can change everything. He says in verse four, but God, I am here to tell you this morning that you can have a mulligan, that you can have a redo, that you can have a restart. Why? But God. God one day says, I'll fix it. 
I'm going to send Jesus. I'm going to fix it. And I have something that he has to do. He's going to shed his blood. He's going to shed his blood on Calvary's hill so that each and every one of us could have a mulligan, could have a redo. His blood saves us. His blood pardons us. His blood sanctifies us. His blood gives us mercy. His blood gives us grace. His blood loves us. There is freedom in his blood. There's redemption in his blood. There's unification in his blood. Charles Spurgeon once said, morality may keep you out of jail, but it takes the blood of Christ to keep you out of hell. The blood of Jesus Christ. Christ's blood is holy, it's powerful, and they don't talk about it anymore on pulpits, but I'm here to tell you, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that has set me free. The blood, it's not enough to talk about it. It's not enough to sing about it. It's not enough to preach about it. You've got to apply it to your life in order to wash away all your sins. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood, in the blood of the Lamb. How does he do it? Ask for forgiveness and Jesus applies the blood. Ask for it. It was stated, and I believe this, that one drop of the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus himself, would have saved humanity of everything. And Jesus shed every ounce of his blood on that cross. Ladies and gentlemen, do you struggle with addictions this morning? Are you in bondage? Are there sins that you know you've been doing and you can't get out from under? Are you dealing with oppression and anxiety and fear and torment and pain? I'm here to tell you, the blood of Jesus has the power to set you free. But God, use your words to plead the blood. Let me tell you something. You should be walking in your house and say, I plead the blood over my house. I plead the blood over my car. I plead the blood over my children. I plead the blood over my business. I plead the blood over my workers. I plead the blood over my church and over my pastors and over everything. Why? Because the blood will set us free. Use your words to plead the blood. And I'm here to tell you this morning that because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's mountain, the devil is defeated. The devil is a liar. He's got no strength over you. All you need to do is plead the blood. The blood is your advocate. Why you think Jesus from the cross said, it is finished. It is finished. Price has been paid. I'm here to share with you this morning, it's time for you to get out of the graveyard. It's time for you to get out of the graveyard. You were dead, you were disobedient, you were depraved, you were doomed, but the power of the blood of Jesus Christ made a way for you. God made a way. And now 
we are. Verse 4 says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Hallelujah, grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. Hebrew says that the word is able to give life. And I'm here to tell you one of God's intrinsic attributes is love. And on the cross, he shared that with us. It was dramatic. As Jesus was suspended on a cross between two thieves. At about 12 o'clock in the afternoon, when the sun was at its highest peak, the Bible tells me that God turned around. God turned his back. His beloved son was on the cross and he became sin. And he paid the price. The lamb of God shed his blood for you and for me. And God turned his back and the lights went out. The sun refused to shine. And Jesus from the cross looked up and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know why? Because as Jesus was dying on the cross, he had you and you and you and you and me on his mind. And though we were dead and disobedient and doomed, he wanted to make us alive. Someone once said that grace is receiving from God what we don't deserve and mercy is not receiving what we deserve. And let me tell you something, there's enough grace and mercy in the living God to go around for each and every one of you. What did you bring with you today? What else are we? Verse five says, we are alive. Jesus performed three resurrections while he was walking on the face of the earth. You remember the widow's son. You remember Jairus's daughter and you of course would remember Lazarus. All Jesus needed to do was speak the word and there was life. And I'm here to tell you, because of the work of Jesus Christ, you are no longer dead. You are alive in Christ. You are born again. Verse number six says, we were raised up. We were exalted. Our spiritual position is in heaven. We may live on this earth, but I'm telling you, you've got a place reserved in heaven. And then he says, verse seven through nine, that we are kept. Not only did he rescue us from hell, but he uses us to glorify his name. 
And as a result, we sit in heavenly places. As a result, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us we are filled with grace. As a result, we are his workmanship. As a result, we are brought near to Jesus Christ. God works in us. God works through us. We're no longer strangers. But here's my question. Hear me when I ask you this question because this is the linchpin. Are you wearing grave clothes or are you wearing grace clothes? That's your option today. You walk around in grave clothes, defeated, head hanging, shoulders down, or are you wearing grace clothes? Knowing greater is in me, greater is him that is in me than him that is in the world. If God be for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm here to tell you this morning, this is what revival looks like. When a church is filled with believers that are wearing grace clothes, that's when revival starts. But I have a question for you. Like me 23 years ago, my question to you is, do you need a mulligan? Have you, have you messed up? Have you, have you not done all that God has asked you to do? I don't know about you, but I needed a mulligan. I don't know how I would have gone through my life without God's grace and mercy. I remember one night many years ago where at one hospital, my mom is passing away and the hospital across the street, my wife is having a miscarriage. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, I don't know what I would have done. But I'm telling you that Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He, I've got you in the palm of my hand and I'm here to ask you this morning, like me, do, do you need a mulligan? As the musicians begin to come up, I'm gonna ask every head to bow and every eye to close with no one looking around. Somebody in this room by simply raising their hand is gonna say to me, Bob, I need a mulligan. I've been trying, but I need a mulligan. I need to be clay in the hand of the potter and I need to ask God to mold me, to shape me, to make me again so that he could use me as a vessel of grace I wanna get rid of my grave clothes and put on my grace clothes. Who would say to me this morning, by raising their hand, I need a mulligan. Show me your hands right where you are. I see your hand all across the room. Who else would say to me, I need a mulligan. I see your hand in the back right here down front. I see your hand, I see your hand all over the room. I see your hand. Anybody else right here in the middle, I see your hand. Thank you very much. God is calling. 
God is calling you this morning who would say, I need a, a mulligan. I see your hands all across the room. I'd like everybody to stand as the music begins to play. I'm going to ask God to convert this altar into a potter's wheel. And I'm going to ask everybody in this room, if you raised your hand, I want you to come forward and ask God to mold you, to reshape you, to use you. Lord, I need a mulligan. I need a redo. I want revival to start in my life. I want revival to start in my church. But I know it starts with me. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And I'm asking you this morning to be bold enough, to be brave enough, not to worry about what the person is doing next to you. But if you raise your hand in private, I'm going to ask you to come forward. We want to pray with you this morning. I want to ask you in the name of Jesus Christ to be bold enough to come forward. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to step out of your seat and come forward. And even if you didn't raise your hand, even if you didn't at that moment and you still want to ask for prayer, come forward. One. Don't be shy. Two, three, come forward. Come forward. Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. Jesus wants to start a revival in your life. He wants to do something special in you. Deacons, will you come forward and pray with these ministers, pastors, whoever's here. Come and pray with whoever's up here. God is moving in this place. God is moving in your heart. God is moving in your life. And we want to ask him, mold me, shape me. Just like the clay was marred in the hands of the potter, I'm asking you, Lord, to make me again. I need a mulligan. Will you join me in prayer this morning for all these that are up here?